Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind. I'm Kevin Byrne. I'm delighted to be joined today by Deirdre Nelson, Irish boxing history maker. Welcome to the show, Deirdre. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Looking forward to the podcast. Yeah, uh, Deirdre, your story is absolutely amazing. And I ha- I don't know too much about it. So I'm really excited about asking you the questions today and finding out the answers. Because often I know the answers before I ask the questions. And <laughs> like a good lawyer. Um and something you know all about, but um, your story's <laughs> your story is absolutely amazing. You made your professional debut uh, back in 1995, That's April correct, 95 yes. in Las Vegas, and you fought for a world Indeed. title Indeed, on your debut. Yeah. Unique for an Irish boxer. Uh, it certainly was a it was a very grand start uh, to the career. Um, I say there's there's actually not a lot of people probably are aware of me in boxing in general because. If you really think about it, um, at the time, obviously, there was a lot of publicity uh, through local and, and national press, but we didn't have social media then. We didn't really have YouTube or, or, or all that now that, that uh, people have nowadays. But my background, I just didn't I just didn't come off the street to somebody say, do you want to box in Las Vegas? Um, I, I was from a, a kickboxing background. And in 94, I'd actually come off uh, two championship fights. Uh, I'd fought for a British title in March. Um, and a European title in the October, and both um, stopped the opponent in the fourth round for both on both occasions, both with a, with the right hand. So to be honest with you, when I was offered it, um, maybe it was naive on my part. Um, I, I felt confident. I felt capable. Um, I, I always was a, a good boxer as well as as good with the feet. Um, and I just thought, you know, it's 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 a tremendous opportunity. I mean. Las Vegas is is the pinnacle of any any fighter's career, and goodness gracious, I mean, to get it in your in your very first one, you know, it's. I thought, well, the only way only way is up, but it consequently didn't turn out that way. But yeah, well, we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll discuss every aspect of it uh, over the course of this podcast. Um, women's boxing is having an incredible moment right now. Indeed, yeah. Um, we've seen Katie Taylor headline over at the Wembley yeah. Arena. She's a two weight world champion, undisputed at lightweight. And yeah. has recently been named pound for pound champion uh, by ESPN and The Ring magazine. So Indeed. women's boxing is enjoying an incredible moment at the minute. We can go all the way back to 1991. Um, trailblazers in women's boxing. There's a lot of women who get credited, like from the Barbara Buttrick era, who Indeed. actually promoted, promoted your fight in Las Vegas, to um, Deirdre Gogarty, the first well-known Irish boxer who came ahead of you. She made her debut in 1991. With uh-huh. Jane Couch, made her debut in 1994. And in 1995, you find yourself on an all-female boxing card over in Las Vegas. Um, a fascinating contest. You took on Marianne Almagar, also known yeah. as Gorge- Gorgeous from Texas, uh, and wow. she was she was four and zero with three knockouts, including in her last fight a win over Deirdre Gogarty. Tell us, you know, tell us how the, how the fight came about. How did you end up making a professional debut, fighting for a world title? In Las Vegas, well, it was actually um, it was co-promoted uh, between uh, Barbara Buttrick and Jimmy Finn, and it was actually Jimmy Finn had been up to one of our kickboxing promotions um, a couple of years prior to that, and uh, we had sort of kept in contact. And uh, the night of the blue, he kind of just he gave the opportunity. He said that 
they were putting a fight card together in Las Vegas. It was going to be stark. It was an all-women's card, all for world titles, the first time this had ever been done. And uh, to be honest with you, at the start, I, I was quite sceptical because, um, it, it, you know, at the time, there wasn't an awful... It was, it was very hard... Uh, for somebody to be able to do that, uh, especially at the end of the day, if you you know if you didn't have the finances behind you, um, although Christy Martin was making uh, great inroads with Don King, there wasn't an awful lot of opportunity for for anybody else really. Um, so I sort of just more or less said yes, certainly I'd be interested, um, and then just uh, I think it was maybe a month or so later he actually got back in contact and said it was a go and. I was like, right, okay, um, and uh, ended up going over. It was I can remember it vividly. It was Easter Sunday. Um, the 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 flight getting out there was kind of must have been all the way around the countryside. I don't know if it was the cheapest flight Jimmy could get, but anyway, we were out there anyway. And uh, then the fight was on the Thursday, and actually uh, down at the MGM, I can remember it vividly. Uh, big George Foreman was fighting actual Schultz on the Saturday. Um, so, yeah, and uh, the, the night was, a, it was a tremendous night. They had a, a great crowd in the Aladdin. For the Aladdin, I think they had something like eight and a half, nine thousand 9,000 fans in, which was, uh, which was phenomenal at the end of the day. And 10 world title fights. Um, where most of them were all sort of European girls, like some myself, um, against Americans, um, and I say I, I knew very little about Marianne. Um, uh, I had spoken to Deirdre uh, to get sort of a bit of a lowdown, but at the end of the day, every fight's going to be different. Um, and uh, but basically, I just thought I'm going to seize the opportunity. Yeah. Um, do you remember the events of that week? Do you remember? Do you remember what was number number one in the charts that week? Do you remember? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I remember that far, you know, at the end of the day. I can remember well, being I can remember being really overawed overawed by the whole occasion, you know, stepping I've, out for a run on the Monday and at seven o'clock in the morning and running up by Caesar's Palace and I'm going, This this yeah. is just surreal, this just doesn't happen to people like me, you know, at the end of the day. Well and, I've got your uh, I've got your I've got your back. I can bring you on a little pop culture <laughs> tour of, of April nineteen ninety five. So movies released that month, um Bad Boys. Friday, right. Ro- Rob Roy and the Basketball Diaries. Back for Good right. by Take That was uh, oh, number, number a one in the charts. Yeah, um, as, that month as well as um, Oliver McCall uh, beating Larry Holmes, as well as George Foreman beating a- Axel Schultz. Ben Crenshaw won the Masters at Augusta. Stephen Hendry won a fifth World Snooker title, and Father Ted made its debut on Channel Four. <laughs> I think out of all of them, probably the Father Ted is the most notable, isn't it? Yeah, I, absolutely. But uh, uh, from first to serious, I think the night before your fight, the Oklahoma bombing took place. Um, that's, that's correct. That yes. Was, yes that do you remember was, that? Do you remember that sound uh, of reverberations? I remembered vividly. Actually, um, it was just like a, a bolt out of the blue. Um, I, I was just in a state of shock. I can remember seeing the in the newspaper reports and and the devastation that had been caused. And to be honest with you, I, I wasn't sure whether or not the, the card was still going to go ahead. Um, I can remember everything was, it went to be a bit crazy in Las Vegas. There was like um, sort of uh, bomb warnings put in and, and just people were very, very edgy. And the actual, there is a wee bit of a story behind this is that a, 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 we were told that uh, we needed a, a flag and I'd come all the way over and I forgot to bring a flag. So um, my other half went up to the shops in Treasure Island and uh, to get a flag. And he was actually able to get the one and only Northern Ireland flag in the shop in Las Vegas, which I, which I was quite surprised about. And I can remember coming back and just watching the, uh, watching the news and there was a, a bomb scare in around that area. Um, and if you can imagine at that time, obviously the troubles were going on in, in Northern Ireland and so on and so forth. And Stephen came in and I, I had to say to him, I says, um, did you did you see? I says, yeah, I've seen a bit of commotion going on. And I don't know if it's because I'm from here or not, but I said, you didn't speak to anybody, did you? Um, because he has to hear the accents, you know. He says, I oh, it is, you know, and here's me. Oh, Jesus, we see the doors come in at any moment, you know. Um, but thankfully, you know, obviously everything was okay. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, 
it was very surreal and and, and, and terribly terribly sad time yeah and, and tremendous loss of life and when you do hear the um stuff going on you know the remembrance stuff it kind of just puts a tinge of sadness on it all really at the end of the day yeah you know was there good camaraderie uh, among the women boxers at the time because there was a lot of like i remember jane couch talking about the battles she went through back in britain you know, she was labelled a freak and a lesbian, and she was just constantly pilloried. And now you're at an all women's boxing card. Were the were the women boxers close? Was there a, a sisterhood uh, there? I I would have said that actually almost went down European American lines. Really, the the Europeans mm. all tended to stick together, and the Americans all tended to stick together. Um, but we were all sort of polite and civil with one another. But it's 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 difficult, uh, Kevin, because you know if you're going if you're going to fight somebody a couple of days later you, you, you don't want to be your best pal you know at the end of the day so you keep a very respectful distance but at the same time you're not rude um but uh as i say obviously i knew i knew deidre and uh we would have we would have sort of hung out and uh, and then of course regina hamlick from from germany was there and uh, daniel summers who i had actually uh, encountered then in one of the world kickboxing championships so i did know some of the people there but I think as well as that, we're all sort of kind of caught up with the whole uh, events leading up to that, you know, at the end of the day, that you don't really have an awful lot of time and you're trying not mm. to um, take your mind eye off the ball, really, you know, at the yeah. end of the day. So who is your coach going into this world title fight? Well, the irony was my, my coach was my was my better half, my fiancé of what are we, since 1984 at the time. What were we, 11 years in at that stage because he'd been my coach um in kickboxing so it, it made perfect sense for him to be my coach in boxing um i i trust Stephen impeccably um and at the end of the day i think you have to have that trust that you that somebody has your back and has the best your best interest he'd, he'd done boxing as well although it was amateur um very good kickboxer as well and he he knew the sport inside out so i, I trust Stephen's judgment in it you know you look at you entered the ring and you had, a, you had a great costume, very, all pink, ready to go. Uh, and Mary sure Ann Alma. Pink? You sure it was pink? pink I think paper. it was black. No, I wouldn't wear pink. You haven't watched it back in a long time, have you? No, I've never watched it back, Kevin, so. <laughs> I, I thought I, it was in pink. No, I thought it was in. For, oh, you know what it is? It was probably purple. Probably purple. purple. It's the shade purple. of uh, the old YouTube tape I watched back as. Uh, <laughs> I'm colorblind. It's too late to say that. Is it? <laughs> uh, purple, purple is more accurate. Is more purple, correct. Yeah. Uh, um, you haven't watched it back though. All, all these years no. later, we in preparation no. for this podcast, they asked you to watch it back, but you said you wouldn't. I don't blame. No. Well, not that I don't blame you, but why is that? It's so long since it's a famous moment in your life. Um, well, let's discuss the fight first, from what, from what you recall. So you get in against Al Magar. There's a height difference. You're you're taller. You're longer than her. Um, yep. what's what's the game plan keep her on the end of the jab fight tall one two um, it was yeah and I know she had trouble making the weight as well um, and basically uh, she really battled to make it I, I I didn't have trouble making the weight and actually the irony was when they, they weighed me in the day after being weighing and I actually had lost weight so I was like well there's a first um, uh, yeah it was it was just basically it was to, it was to keep keep the range because um, somebody who's obviously automatically going to be taller you, you can't afford for somebody to let them them come in on you because you lose your advantage at the end of the day keep them on the outside and I, I was conscious of the fact that with her being a southpaw it can tend to nullify the job of an orthodox fighter so to, to try and use the right hand as, as much as possible it is actually quite difficult for me because I'm left handed so technically I should be a southpaw but uh Stephen refused to train me as a southpaw. Well, actually, he tried me in both stances when he was teaching me and I thought I was better as an orthodox fighter. Um, so at the end of the day, I always tended to throw an awful lot of jabs anyway. Um, but as, as from, from recollection, um, you know, bearing in mind it is, it is quite a wee while ago, uh, at the end of the day, I can remember it was a pretty even first round uh, by all accounts the judges had me ahead on the scorecards, which at the end of the day with the first round really tells you nothing about the fight. And then in the second round, I think halfway through that, I just thought, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of chasing her here. I'll let her come to me, which probably goes against everything that you should do. Like, And uh, I can remember 
Um, so I'll just do a wee bit of work off the ropes. And literally, as from my recollection, you you probably because you've seen it, so you'll be able to tell me if I'm right or not. She literally threw three or four punches, and I was about to counter back. And before I knew it, the the referee had stepped in and called the fight off. I actually thought that he was maybe separating the two of us. Um, and the next thing I can remember is he was taking the gum shield out of my mouth, and it was all I was. I was kind of like, this, "What's what's happening?" and you know, at the end of the day, and I can remember it vividly as well, that in that kind of a moment when it happened, these cameras just zoomed straight into my face, you know, just to try and get the reaction. And I can remember the crowd was booing, and, and I was just like, surely this isn't happening at the end of the day. Um, but unfortunately it did, and the rest is history. So that's that's one of the reasons why I, I really don't want to watch it back, to be honest with you, because it didn't yeah. really give me a lot of happy memories, yeah. you know? Yeah, sorry for walking you down memory lane and on that, on that score. Yeah, I think you're you're if you haven't watched it back, your memory is pretty clear. There's a there's a sharp punch landed kind of in centre ring, and you move back to the ropes, cover up, and she lands a couple of punches, a couple land on the elbows and gloves, and before you know it, the referee Mitch Halpern yep. has stepped in and he's taken the gum shield out of your mouth. Um, you to be honest the, with you, Kevin. I, you know, you, you say she hit me with a sharp punch. I felt nothing. You know, at yeah. the end of the day, I honest to God, I, I didn't. You know, um, she was. I was told that she was a hard hitting uh, puncher. She was a puncher, and I, I didn't. She didn't intimidate me in any way. Do you know what I mean? But mm. you have your adrenaline going anyway, so you know you naturally don't feel a lot of the stuff at the time. I think you get worried if you do feel it at the time because yeah, that's not a good thing either. You know. I suppose the accusation against the referee Mitch Halpern was that he jumped in far too far too early. Do you think Absolutely. maybe did you, was your feeling at the time and your coach's uh, feeling that possibly because it was a women's boxing match he was trying to save you from punishment, but at the same time you're a professional boxer and you're able to withstand punishment and maybe he wasn't experienced enough or something to be refereeing a women's boxing match. I honestly don't know. Only Mitch can answer that question, to be honest with you, Kevin. You know, um, he was a very experienced referee. Um, he knows the score. Uh, you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but was I right? Did he referee the Holyfield Tyson? Tyson Holyfield won, yeah. Yeah, yeah with the Lewis, year. Lewis yeah. Holyfield, yeah. Trinidad yeah. de la Hoya, Barrera Morales yeah. won. He had, a, I think, 87 men's uh, championship contests yeah. Yeah. Uh, by so the time he, he stopped refereeing. Well, so, you know, at the end of the day, if you've ever seen uh, the morales Barrera fight, especially the first one, that's an absolute war, you know, at the end of the day. And I don't know uh, if it would be right for me to say that that that's, you know, obviously his inexperience in refereeing women's fight uh, was the case. Yeah. Um, it but certainly anyway, seems that way. It's difficult to it's, we can't put we can't put the man's um, motivations in no. context. He's no longer with us either, unfortunately. No. Um, no. But you you were not happy about the stoppage, and people in the crowd were not happy no. about the stoppage either. Disgusted, devastated. How how upset were you? Your professional debut, world title fight, and you're stopped while you're on hurt. Uh, with I, I was crushed, Kevin. I really was. I was I was I thought I was going to go in and conquer the world. I really did. Um, it's not the first time that I'd actually ever taken a fight for a, a title fight. In my first fight, my first ever fight kickboxing was an Irish title fight down in Kilkenny. Um, against a girl who eight eight fights, eight wins, seven knockouts. So, you know, at the end of the day, I just thought it's really who wants it more. At the end of the day, um, it what got me about the referee was his arrogance. Uh, when he was asked why he had stopped the fight, I can remember him saying, "I don't have to give a reason." Now, maybe that is the case, um, but he just he just didn't want to know. At the end of the day, um, but I, I was I was devastated to be honest with you. I actually really felt it was. It, you know, at the time, this is going to be a reflection on me. This is going to hang over me like a bad smell. This is going to be all that anybody ever remembers. And at the end of the day, it's it's it's, it's almost going to define who I am. Um, if I'd gone in there and she'd beaten me fair and square and it had knocked me out, then you know that that's you know I can handle that. But to be stopped in that kind of a manner, it's it's very hard to get your head around. Um. But I can remember uh, at the time when it's not only did have the TV cameras shoved in my face. So I'm trying to sort of keep my composure there because I thought, well, I'm not going to burst into tears here on, on camera here. But my, my other half kind of threw a bit of a strop. And uh, 
whenever the referee had said, I don't have to give you an answer, he kind of threw the ice bucket at him and it, it didn't really go down too well. And I can remember the ice bucket landing in the judges' laps. And all I could think of was, in the name of good God, I'm, I'm having a devastating moment here and you're throwing a hissy fit. So all my focus on before anything else happened was actually to get Stephen out of the situation. I can remember grabbing him and going, would you come on? Would you come on? You know, at the end of the day, and just literally just shoving him up the, the corridor. I just wanted to get away. Just I just wanted to have that bit of a bit of a privacy. And I can remember just letting rip in the changing rooms and then just the tears started. And I can remember Transport Sport wanting to get an interview, but it took about an hour for me to be able to compose myself. Um, and then I kind of I had the interview because um, I felt it was important to try and get my side of the story across. But the, the irony was, I can remember that prior to going out, I'd been asked to go on a Northern Irish chat show. I'm not going to name it at the end of the day, but it was a very well-known one. And uh, I thought, oh, God, this would be great, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, they rang us to find out how the fight had gone. And it was Stephen answered the phone. And he says, well, did she win or lose? And he says, well, she lost, but let me explain. He says, oh, that's all right. We don't want her on anymore. And I was like, well, saw you at the end of the day. No. Um, so then I just thought, oh, this is, this is a nightmare. I'm just, you know, I actually tried to get a flight home the next day because um, I just wanted to get home. And then when obviously that wasn't a possibility, I just thought, you know what? I'm in one of the greatest entertainment capitals of the world. I'll probably never, ever get here again. Make the most of it. So yeah. we, we uh, had a ball um, and actually ended up going back to Las Vegas nine other times after that. So, yeah. So, oh, um, yeah. Um, the, the principal uh, protagonist of, of the story yourself, the referee and Marianne Algam- Almagar, like have, it's an interesting couple of years, like for, for everybody in the years to follow, like Marianne, she had a very successful career went on. So your fight was for the first WIBF women's world light middleweight title. It was the inaugural bout, the very yeah. first one. And she won it. Um, she retired at 14 and eight, nine knockouts, nine knockout wins to her name, five knockout defeats. But she faced every legendary name in women's boxing in the decade that followed, like Jackie Fraser, Leila Ali, Ann Wolf, Lucia Riker. Uh, she yeah. lost, she lost to them all, but she had a win over Deirdre Gogarty, another Hall of Famer. Uh, yeah. Deirdre Gogarty fought on your card um, against Marianne uh, when she took on Laura Serrano, and she's it was yeah. the most exciting fight of her career. She wasn't successful. Did you get to watch that one? Did you know Deirdre got- Gogarty well? Um, I did know Deidre. I wouldn't say I knew her really well, but you know, we'd obviously had been chatting in the lead up to the fight. Uh, a fantastic girl, um, just just an absolute legend, um, extremely talented boxer. Um, and at the end of the day, she 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 fought hard to be able to to fight here, but obviously had to uproot and um, go to the states to be able to carry out what she wanted to do here, um, and. Uh, I can remember it was an exceptionally hard-fought fight with, uh, with Laura Serrano. Uh, Laura was a, an exceptional fighter as well. It was a very well-matched fight. Um, but I can remember at the end of the day, she just was too strong for her in the end. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a it was a thrilling fight, and it kind of I was a bit of regret for myself. I just thought to myself, you know, well, there's there's showing you exactly what women can do. Um, but yet I wasn't given that opportunity to do that. Um, but you know what? Um, I was tremendously proud of, of all the women on that night. I yeah. think we acquitted ourselves with with the plume. And um, I thought that it would be a springboard for the sport in general. But unfortunately, uh, that wasn't to be the case. Yeah. Um, it, the referee's face was particularly tragic Two weeks after your yeah. bout, he uh, officiated at a men's boxing match, a WBC junior lightweight title fight between Gabrielle, Gabrielle Ruelas and Jimmy Garcia. Uh, Garcia died after the bout. Uh, yeah. And I believe the referee had spent the entire night um, in, in hospital with him, you know, w- waiting to see if okay. he'd be okay. And he, he wasn't, he died. And five years later, five years later, the referee himself um, 
just as the referee Richard Green had after Duck who came against Ray Mancini, he killed himself. But the referee of your fight and the Gabriel Ruelas against Jimmy Garcia fight, Mitch Halpern, he killed himself as well five years later. He did, yeah. He did. Um, That's just tremendously sad, to be honest with you. You know, at the end of the day, um, there's obviously been an awful lot of things going on and uh, just terrible that anybody would feel that they've no other way out than to do yeah. that and you wouldn't wish that on anybody you know at the end of the day I suppose pre-internet world were you aware of this that, that, that this had happened the man who'd kind of had a central if if very short lived but a central kind of I, role, I wasn't, role in your life and I wasn't aware of the fight two weeks after which at the end of the day you know knowing that you could probably say well then maybe at the end of the day he was acting in my best interest you know because he could have said well look what happens whenever it goes the other way um, I personally, it was for me, it was a premature stoppage. Um, but I had, yes, I was aware that he had taken his own life, and um, you know, I was, I was surprised actually because he, he was doing exceptionally well for, on the boxing front, was refereeing many big fights, and it just, it just shows you, you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors, really, you know. Yeah. What what was your initial experience like in women's boxing? Because we we hear of the stories, and as a trailblazer yourself, and we've heard different stories from Deirdre Gogarty, Jane Couch, Katie Taylor about um, their first times in male gyms having to spar men who kind of took the piss out of them and said, "Oh no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spar her." And like, so there's a great story like Deirdre Gogarty tells it. Um, you know. There's a story about a sparring man called Kenny Vice who once upon a time had knocked out Jim McDonald. Uh, Bo Williford, Deirdre's coach, said uh, to Vice, don't hurt her. Instead, Deirdre Gogarty gave Vice a black eye. But another, a Jewish kid, told her she was an alien. She'd never amount to anything. He ended up being her biggest fan. Katie Taylor's stories of sparring are kind of like the lads are going easy on her and then they realize that they can't. She hits them and it's hello. She, She punches harder than most of the fellas. Even Jane Couch says she'd asked for sparring initially in the gym and they'd tell her to F off, you're a girl. They'd laugh at her. But eventually, you know, respect respect was hard earned. Even even earlier on, you told me that, you know, your dad said you're the son, <laughs> you're the son he never had. Indeed, yeah. And there's just a pressure on women not to box or there, was, there, there certainly is, yeah. was far more so. How, how did you find, find a way to overcome it? I, I must admit, I, I, I was really fortunate. Um, we we were gymless and I had a, a kickboxing fight in Beirut and I needed somewhere to train. And uh, we approached John Breen, who is an exceptionally well-renowned, well-respected trainer. And John says, certainly you can come in and, and use the gym. I don't have an issue with that. And then um, after the fight, then I, I kind of thought, because I wasn't getting the same amount of opportunities, I just thought, you know, why don't I do boxing? And I naively thought that um, basically because Jane had got her British Boxing Board a control license, that things were on the turn, that there was going to be more opportunities coming. And John was up front and John was honest with me. He says, I don't like women's boxing. He says, but I respect your right to do it. He says, uncertainly, I says, well, John, would you be my manager? Because she, I needed a manager. I could self-manage after the first year. And he says, to get my license, he says, not a problem. I'll do that for you. And uh, so basically, John John trained me. Um, and at times, yes, I, I would have uh, sparred with the other guys. But I can honestly say that, uh, you know, I find they were great. Like they would have had, you know, the odd joke and, and whatnot made at you, but they'd done that to everybody. You know, I mm. wasn't certainly unique in that in that respect. And uh, I would have sparred with John Lowy and he took me to school, to be honest with you. Um, very slippery character, very hard to hit. Um, he took everybody think, to school, from what I understand, yeah. John Lowy, yeah. Tr- <laughs> tricks of the trade. I can remember... I can remember hitting John and I kept saying, sorry. And he says, if you say sorry to me one more time. And then he just battered me. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> you know, and uh, so basically John, John, it was, it was, it wasn't even, I wasn't even a challenge for John at the end of the day. Um, and then I would have sparred with, with a couple of others, but I actually still sparred with Stephen as well, you know, at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I can honestly say that 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 the majority of people in the gym made me feel really, really welcome, um, yeah. and uh, it was just people on the the outside, uh, not so much 
uh, in Ireland, um, but just certain promoters uh, in the UK just had my sexuality questioned uh, on radio just out of the blue. Um, and basically just, just had things directed at me. But I had it was nothing compared to what Jane had. At the end of the day, Jane had a higher profile. She, she was the first woman to, to win her licensing in, in a very controversial tribunal, if you'd say, because she was really, really hitting at the old guard and really hitting them where it hurts. And at the end of the day, so I'm very thankful to Jane because she, she paved the way not only for me, but for everybody else to come after that. Um, but at the time, I was I was completely unaware of the impact that this was having on her. I just seen her having contests and just thought, oh, isn't she lucky? You know, at the end of the day, and there was a certain amount of jealousy. But only after reading her book years later, and actually Jane's in, uh, Jane's story is in my research, did I realise it had such a, such a detrimental effect on her. Yeah. And uh, I'm just tremendously sad about that. But I can honestly say that I think I got off a lot lighter than what some of the girls did, you know, at the end of the day. I have a message here from Jane about you, and uh, I'd, like to pl- I'd like to play it. Um, right. Jane Nelson was a legend in her own right. While I was fighting the authorities in England, she was fighting them in Ireland. So, you know, what Gage's done for women's boxing, and she started in the kickboxing, I think, way before, before me as well. So straight into a world title fight in the first boxing match absolute legend don't get enough credit if you ask me oh that's very nice i'm 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 surprised actually you know because at the end of the day i'm actually really quite touched by that um because i I do feel forgotten but at the same time you know i'm not going to start playing the world's smallest violin um it's hard because at the time we were being touted as potential as a potential fight so you kind of get that kind of distance between yourselves um that that's that's very nice of jane and i'm i'm, I'm deeply touched by it i really am and yeah. likewise she's she's a legend herself and tremendous respect for her, you know yeah because your names were linked together for a fight i believe they were. In, in um so i have an I have an article here from 2001 from the evening standard jane couch britain's top female boxers having difficulty finding an opponent for next week's show at the wembley conference center and if a suitable one cannot be imported in time couch is willing to create british boxing history by fighting a man and then like seven or eight powers down um Couch was content to give away a stone away by fighting De- Belfast Deirdre Nelson, but says says Woodward, I think her manager, the Irish girl wanted more than nine days' notice for the contest. Well, you would for fighting Jane Couch, but I don't know how true yeah. that story is. Um, it, there is some there is some truth to it. Uh, the actual um, it was actually uh, text must have been. It was speaking to John, so John was relaying it to me. I wasn't speaking to text directly because obviously John was my manager. I, I was under the impression that they wanted me to get down to nine stone nine and I fight at ten and a half and yeah. literally were what ten nine days out and unless I cut a leg off there, <laughs> there was absolutely no way that that was going to happen anyway and I had fought in kickboxing at ten stone and it just it worked out okay but it just was not the smartest of moves and I always I always swore why give away your your advantage and at the end of the day if you're going to go in weak you're not going to give a good account to yourself um so at the end of the day so certainly I'll, I'll fight you in but you know if you're wanting me to get down down and wait to a point to, i even said i'll go to 10 stone i said i would i would really need more more uh, notice and then the next thing i i see this going into shows you how, how old i am on cfax <laughs> Right. about the fact that I refused to fight and I was going, well, no, technically I didn't. I, was, I certainly would have would have done it, but, you know, we'll have to be realistic and all this, you know? I was going to say, if reading CFAX makes you old, consider me <laughs> sitting here in my slippers, but then I actually am in my slippers because I'm recording this from home, so apologies. <laughs> but um, yourself and Jane are well known for your battles outside the ring as well, uh, almost as much as yeah. your battle, battles inside the ring. Like, ultimately, in your pro career, you went five years from your debut until your second fight. You made history then, to, uh, beating Tazanka Karova at the Ulster Hall in Belfast. And it was the first female pro boxing match held in Northern Ireland. But you went five years without a fight, and you ended your career at, at two fights, one and one, six rounds yeah. completed. Um, re- desperately unfortunate. that. Uh, why did you go so long without, without a contest and without going back in again? 
Uh, well, basically, there just there just wasn't the the opportunities. Um, at the end of the day, we at the time I'd, I'd gone back into kickboxing as well. Um, so I was still competing, but in a different discipline. Um, and then I decided then to to apply for my for my license, and uh, because of Jane, I was able to get that license with the British Boxing Board of Control. Um, so basically I thought then that's the world's my oyster now, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, we basically had made inroads to check to see uh, about a possible south about a possible fight down south. And we checked in uh, with a promoter and they said that they, they didn't have an issue with it, but we would need to obviously run it by the Boxing Union of Ireland first. And let's say the the attitude wasn't was a lot to be desired and ultimately led in a, a subsequent court case. Um, so at the end of the day, there, there just there just wasn't the opportunities, Kevin. And, you know, there is in the back of your mind that that fight in Las Vegas kind of tar the whole future chances that I had. The opportunity that came to me was through Billy Murray, who obviously is from a kickboxing background as well. And the, the fight itself... Uh, was going to be on the undercard of Wayne McCulloch's fight. Um, yeah. And then it's subsequently not my fight, but the whole card kind of began to fall apart for Billy. And I, I really, I really felt for him at the end of the day and all part to him, he still continued on with it. And um, Billy's intention was the fact that he, he, this was going to be the start of many, but unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Um, and then I subsequently got injured. Um, I tore my rotator cuff. So basically that was me really sideball for, Okay. for two years you know yeah that's that's desperate luck as well at a time when you would have been just ready to get going because it was yeah. March 19 March 1998 when dear, when Jane Couch was successful in her claim sexual mm-hmm. discrimination against the British Boxing Board of Control uh, you went to court yourself against uh, she won her case you went to court against the Boxing Union of Ireland and in 2001 you won your case as well in June of 2001 yeah. uh, for, for also for a sexual discrimination case um so you have that in common and Jane gets a lot of credit as a trailblazer and for bringing the I'm boy really to court so. on sexual discrimination. And I'm not quite sure you get enough credit as well for, <laughs> you know, for doing some, something similar on this side of the sea. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, were you born in the wrong era or are you, are you happy that you- absolutely Kevin you know at the end of the day I mean I, my my pinnacle of my career would have been to go to an Olympic Games you know I, I would have loved to have to been able to have the opportunity to do that Um, I, I didn't choose to go into professional boxing at the time whenever I done that there was no amateur side for women women couldn't do amateur boxing so you kind of that's that's kind of why you kind of went in at the deep end um which at the end of the day is probably not the the best pathway into it um i i would just love to have had that opportunity that katie and nicola and clarissa had in 2012 and i know katie had played a large part in actually with with her talent and ability and actually changing a lot of mindsets in that um yeah, I'm just a generation too early, you know, at the end of the day. 
but yeah. uh, that's just the way it is. Like to delve into your case, like the BUI refused to allow you to fight in the South. You were fighting on a British license, which was made yeah. possible because of Jane Couch's victory. Yeah. Uh, so you fought on a British license, and that's how you fought in, in the Ulster Hall in 2000. Yeah. Uh, the BUI's refusal to allow you to fight in the South was because they're waiting for the European Boxing Union to issue guidelines on women's boxing. Yeah. And that effectively banned you from boxing from March until September, uh, yep. until the guidelines were issued. You challenged that, and, and based on those six months, you won your case. It's funny, you won your case in June of 2001, and within four yep. months, the first, um, in a very famous fight, the first sanctioned female amateur yep. fight took place in Ireland yes, between indeed, K- yeah. Katie Taylor from Bray and Alana Murphy from Belfast. That's correct, yes. Uh, so this, the, you can see that the walls are all <laughs> falling down at around the same time. Yeah. Um, to clarify then with, with the court case as well, because you could say um, the argument that the BUI had put forward was that they were waiting for medical guidelines from the European Boxing Union. Uh, but when we contacted the European Boxing Union, they said that at the end of the day, they were only concerned with their own title fights, that the whole matter of regulation was a matter entirely for the Boxing Union of Ireland. So they didn't see at the end of the day, it was up to them to make that decision. Um, basically, uh, at the time, you know, I was having to pay for stuff to for medicals and stuff, and at the end of the day, it was exceptionally expensive. So before you sort of start firing on and doing this and doing that, you know, you might as well find out if you've even a chance chance to do this. Okay. Um, bear in mind as well, the person had actually gone into the Belfast Telegraph, uh, David Kelly, in nineteen ninety eight. And I've just got it in front of me here. And he says, uh, one thing you can be sure of is that the first association who have granted a license to a woman who gets seriously injured will be pillared from a great height. That was the argument actually made in Jane's case as well. Um, In that same article, he also says, it's Mel Crystal, the president of the Boxing Union of Ireland. I'll I'll lend him his uh, defense as well. Like he says, it's unknown territory and a legal minefield. And in my profession as a barrister, Caution is the, is the byword. So there was obviously a lot of fear about, and like maybe to even bring it away from Mel for a second and just talk about some of the general health fears around female boxers. What sort of things were you hearing touted as the difference between men and women and why women shouldn't box but men can? Well, actually, the irony is that what was being touted is, is still being used as stick to beat us with. Uh, primarily, there is a preoccupation around women's reproductive organs and the fact that it was argued that. Uh, especially in Jane's case, that um, that when a woman menstruates, that she is emotionally unstable and therefore not fit to hold a licence. Um, they also try to say that if a woman gets hit in the breast, it could make them more prone to cancer. Um, there is also as well concerns even now over the length of rounds for women's boxing. Um, on the one side, the WBC in 2014 stated that they wouldn't extend the length of rounds for four particular reasons. Uh, three of them were they felt that women were more prone to concussion. They suffered 80% higher chance than men. Um, so hence, obviously, the, the shorter rounds. Um, second was the fact that they menstruated. And thirdly was we didn't have the same endurance as men. Now, considering that women have higher body fat and are much more suited for endurance events, I really don't understand the reasoning in that. But there is the, 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 the whole, and this is what my research goes into primarily, is the medical arguments at the end of the day. And what I find is that the very medical arguments that are used to, do, to try to prevent women from boxing or try to prohibit effectively not level the playing field are the very same arguments that are directed at boxing in general. Is the fact, obviously, about the head, uh, the, the, the head being... Um, a target and obviously the repercussions of head injuries and so on and so forth. So at the end mm-hmm. of the day, if the boxing fraternity are making arguments to say that boxing is safe, what is the differentiation made between us and women? At the end of the day, if the if the if the playing field isn't level, then it's it's just purely discrimination. The the differentiation is is based on our sex, um, and and nothing else. It's based on outdated gender stereotypes. Yeah. At the end of the day, another issue as well is the and obviously, at the end of the day, there's ongoing research across a whole range of sports about concussion, and you know that could have a huge impact on contact sports in general. Mm. Um, but the likes of Aiba have kept head guards on women. 
because they said that men were more prone to concussion. So they took that was their excuse to take it off elite men, but kept it on women. But then you have the WBC saying that women shouldn't fight more than two minute rounds because they have a higher rate of concussion. So I don't understand the logic in this. And I understand that I'm, I'm not medically qualified and that science is always evolving. But at the same time, there just seems to be barriers put there at every opportunity. Um, and, and it's going to be a long time before, if ever, women ever get a first shot. And that's not yeah. just in boxing. That's across sport in general at the end of the day. But more so when you're in a male-dominated sport. Because you're, yeah. you're going against you're going against a stereotype at the end of the day. You know, we were more or less made out that the fact we wanted to do boxing, we were deviant in some way. You know, there was mm-hmm. something not right with us, the fact that we wanted to do this. When the fact is we just simply enjoyed the sport and wanted to do it. You know, and, and that, that's it, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and you're well-placed to say this more than nearly anyone because you've been a professional boxing combatant as well as um, studying women's boxing and discriminate. You've gone to court to stand up for your yeah. rights and then you've studied it to PhD level as well. Like, I mean, like you say, it's a it's a male-dominated sport. I've got a comment here from 1998, just as, you know, th- these battles are starting to be waged mm-hmm. and just before Katie Taylor. I don't want to name the guy because I, I don't think it's fair on him, but he says... And this is a guy who went to the Olympics for Ireland. And he says, even when there's a decision made on female boxing, I'm not sure how many women will realistically want to get their pretty faces smashed in. I don't mean to sound sexist. I'm all for women in sport. But I think boxing is a very rough sport, even for men. And I guess that's the rub. It is a dangerous sport. Yeah. And this kind of paternal desire to protect women, I guess, yep. is not is not is not a signal of equality. It's like, uh, protect, you know, we can't protect the lads, but we should protect the women, and that's illegal. Is that a, is it illegal or like why are why are the WBC allowed to insist and other organisations allowed to have different rules? Two minute rounds for women, ten rounds per championship fight, and Aiba say women can wear headguards, but men can't. Like, is is it all BS? Are all of these medical arguments that are just some of them seem quite spurious? Are, are they mainly BS from your reading of it? I think it depends on the context that it's used. At the end of the day, when you're talking about boxing in general, I think boxing really has to have an honest conversation with itself. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, it tends to try and sanitize the the whole outcome of boxing. Let's let's not deny it. At the end of the day, the object of boxing is is to win and is to stop your opponent. Really, at the end of the day, and there's there's no way to sanitize that. Um, but they say obviously it's to win on points and blah blah blah. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you, it's just it's just it. My argument is that if you're going to use an argument, apply it equally right across the board. Don't pick and choose stuff that's going to suit your own ends and means. At the end of the day, and my concern is as well that with the whole COVID thing as well, um, it's certainly at the great that Eddie Hearn had three women's cards, Katie, Terry and Rachel were on them and did a, a fantastic job. But it makes you wonder just, is it because women are going to be cheaper and easier to get on the cards because obviously there isn't the same gate receipts coming in, you know? So yeah. um, I think that's probably just from personal experience. Jane would probably say exactly the same. And it's not to kind of say anything wrong against is against Eddie Hearn because at the end of the day, let's 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 face it, he's done more for women's boxing than what any of the other promoters have have done. You know, yeah, um, to give credit where credit's due, yeah, yeah he, is the, he is the industry leader, and yes. a lot of U- U.S. promoters could do better as well in that regard. Indeed, like you see some of the milestones after the 2001 Katie Taylor against Alana Murphy fight, 2009, it's announced that women's boxing will enter the Olympics, so it's another wall gone down. Then the next boxer to follow you in Ireland is Christina McMahon, and she had a she had a good career, uh, and now the women's scene does seem to be flourishing. Like there's Caitlin Phelan. Siobhan O'Leary you know there's a, a bunch Harvey, of free, yeah. Lynn Harvey fought for the European title I think there's two yeah. two young women have gone pro in Ireland this week alone and Cathy so, McAleer as well Cathy, Cathy McAleer and she's you know she states you as an influence and she's the next boxer after you to have boxed at the Ulster Hall indeed yeah. um, so are things improving or do you just sometimes have a sceptical eye that women boxers are being used I, I like to think that it is improving at the end of the day. Um, but uh, history has shown me that we go through peaks and troughs. That mm. um, in the 70s, you obviously had Jacqueline Gart, uh, Marion Tramiar, uh, Kathy Davis. Um, they were the trailblazers then. Then once they go, there's that lull. Mm. Then they had the likes of Jane, 
I wouldn't even say myself because with three fights you can't really say you did very much. Um, uh, Lily Ali, uh, Christy Martin. But again, it, it's maintaining the momentum of that. You know, so when the likes of Katie goes, who's going to come up and take the mantle after that? I like to think that the situation has changed and there's sufficient talent coming through. My argument was that you have to be able to obviously have the grassroots sport developed in the amateur side. So the girls are getting the experience and getting the opportunities to come through there. And as the Independent said in 1998, the biggest battle for women's boxing is credibility. So at the end of the day, if the girls are given the opportunity, given the right amount of training, and it just shows you on Eddie's card, they can they can acquit themselves as well, if not better than the men. Um, so hopefully at the end of the day, this is going to be a turning point. But when you have different issues that are ongoing in the background, it kind of looks a bit like window dressing, mm. you know. Um, so until that's all properly resolved, who knows, Kevin? I really hope I am wrong, yeah. really, at the end of the day, I really do. Uh, I, I I speak like I'm a boxing fan. Like I do do the podcast and I've written articles and stuff. But I think looking ahead to the Irish release, for instance, the fights almost you look forward to most at the minute are women's boxing bouts. So Christina Desmond against Grania, Grania Walsh or Kelly Harrington against Amy Broadhurst. There, I'm more excited about the prospect of those fights than some of the men's bouts. Nearly all of the men's bouts. So I think we've come a long way. Hopefully in a short enough space of time, and the future is looking good. Deirdre Nelson, thanks so much for joining us. A trailblazer in your own right, a winner in and out of ring thanks so much thank you Kevin I appreciate the opportunity thank you very much indeed Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.